everybody, it's He Yang. Roundtable is thrilled to launch the UniTalk Challenge: Rising Stars of Roundtable. If you like the show and enjoy our discussions, why not take the stage yourself? Calling all university students, both undergraduates and postgrads, to engage in an English discussion on a topic that ignites your passion. Record your discussion, which consists more than one person, and send it to us at ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. You could be the next rising star of Roundtable. An incredible opportunity awaits, so seize the moment. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, Hua Young. I'm joined by Yushun in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. Coming up, you must have heard about brick-and-mortar bookstores having a tough time with online shopping, right? Well, now bookshops are trying something different to stay alive and relevant. Are we witnessing a revolution in retail, or is there something deeper at play? And we share with you what's brought us sheer delight this week. Join us for a dose of positivity, joy, and all things that make our hearts sing in Roundtable's happy place. Life happens, we get it. Miss the juicy bits on air? No worries. Dive into the Roundtable China podcast for all the laughs and insights. Find us on your favorite podcast platform and let the fun catch up with you. And always, you can reach us at EZFM Roundtable. At foxmail.com,、uh, feel free to share your thoughts and send us a voice memo of questions if that's something you're looking for answers to. And now let's move on to our next topic of today. Since the advent of e-commerce, the fate of brick-and-mortar bookstores seemed uncertain. However, the narrative of decline is far from the complete truth. Rather than being rendered obsolete, bookstores have been resiliently adapting, transforming, and even thriving in the digital age. Bookstores are expanding their offerings and functions beyond just selling books. They are evolving into cultural spaces that likely host various cultural activities. Events or features. This broader engagement with the community could serve as a lifeboat for its survival. So tell us what's trending now. The cultural space as a business trend these days. Yes, we can see that cultural space. This idea has become a new business trend with an increasing number of brands. Exploring and expanding the supply of cultural consumption through the establishment of brand magazines, cultural activities, cross-industry collaborations, and even the opening of bookstores, art exhibitions, and other cultural spaces, brands are attempting to integrate、um, cultural ambience into their brand. Some examples, like、um, we can see, a Chinese fragrance brand opened a first-of-its-kind. Scented bookstore in Shanghai, offering a blend of books and fragrances. Or we can see some luxury brands are also extending their service to bookselling or opening pop-up bookstores like Gucci, Valentino, and Louis Vuitton. Also, Chinese milk tea brand Naishu opened its first tea plus reading bookstore in Beijing in 2022. 
And what is more interesting is that I found that more and more bookstore themed or or bookstore oriented shopping center are you know popping up like Tsutaya Books, Niao Wu Shu Dian in Chinese, or Aslate Bookstore, Chengping Shu Dian. These bookstore giants in in the industry, you can buy so many things or even home appliances in a bookstore nowadays. It feels like it's developing a whole new lifestyle with. This idea of creating a cultural space. Yeah,、um, when you mention Chengpin Shu Dian, that reminds me of the fond memory of visiting it in Taipei、mm. about ten years ago, and well, maybe more than that actually. And at the time, these bookstores that also, may I say, sell a lifestyle、mm. was still a very new concept. But now in Many Chinese cities, you see、um, bookstores venturing more towards that direction. But with Chengpin Shu Dian, this、uh, bookstore chain actually it took more than a decade for it to make a profit.、Mm. So that is the kind of、um, patience you don't regularly see. Among businesses,、um, Josh, what's your take on how bookstores are trying to branch out,、um, turning into something more than just selling books? Well, I think that it's pretty important. I think that the reading habits have evolved, especially with the rise of digital media, and I think that bookstores have had to do things to stay open. A lot of things and. Also, I think this has facilitated the bridging over from both sides. Bookstores doing other things,、um, and also fashion brands and what have you opening bookstores. I think that this is why they become more integrated and more personalised. We've seen this with brick and mortar stores just generally. We've we've also talked on this show before about how certain fashion sh- stores and clothing stores are also doing other things, not just not books necessarily, but making you have a more personalised experience, giving you food and drink, for example. Loads of places I see in Beijing now. Some of the fancy stores they have cafes in them. They serve coffee, things like this. Places to make you spend more time in there, right? So it makes sense to me、uh, in this way. And I think that bookstores really work for so many reasons. It allows for brand expansion in a way that helps the retains the customer for a longer period of time. Similar to like a coffee shop, right? If you can get your customer to sit in the store for a longer amount of time. Maybe the customer is going to start to build that customer loyalty to the brand if they have a good experience, and that's what customers want these days, right? We're looking for experiences, not just products anymore. Yeah, Josh, I wonder if you share this、uh, slightly romanticized、um, look at books and the. Publishing business. I understand. Ultimately, bookstores are trying to sell you books, so it's a commercial venture in that sense. But also, for I guess some readers like myself,、um, we kind of see bookstores and also libraries. You know, these places filled with paperback books as almost okay. This is a little idealistic, I know. Lighthouses of、um, humanity, or you know, just It also carries the function of enlightening, you know, people. So sometimes people feel a little bit 
differently, or maybe because we have this soft spot for bookstores and we want them to survive, but also, you know, with all these collaborations with different uh, business and commercial interests, um, it, it sometimes just feels a little off. Or if it's not conducted properly, then it just feels too much like business or promotional gimmick, and、um, it's a complicated feeling. I wonder if you share that feeling. Yeah, I wouldn't say that it's a gimmick. I maybe I do have a bit of a romanticized idea and relationship with the bookstore to some degree. I love them, and I love physical books, and I think that. There is something quite important about it. I think there's something to be said for a physical and tangible experience in comparison to like eBooks and something like this. And also, as a space, bookstores have historically held massive importance for communities as a social hub, as an education hub, as a place to find information. And although that may have changed today, because you can just find this information on your phone if you have a smartphone and access to the internet, I still think that. Having that space, that designated space to read,、mm. to just read, right? I think that it's important, and it's proved to be important because so many bookstores are still thriving. And just to have that place, there's so many factors that play into it because these days it's so difficult to find proper spaces to read for an extended period of time, right? We have all of these distractions. If we're reading on our phone, we've probably got. Instant messages popping up all the time. We can, people can call us. We've got noise. People can just contact us at any time, which is basically the opposite of what you need to read or maybe even finish a book.、Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that the bookstores usually have a lot of unwritten rules. Right? It's usually very quiet these days. There's usually a space to sit, a comfortable space to sit. There are people also around you who are reading. Um, they usually have people who work there who are, have expertise and things like this,、um, and a lot of bookstores they are also libraries, right? In in small communities, they may be a bookstore and a library or both. And libraries usually are deeply integrated into the surrounding community and do a lot of great work. So, I, I think that there is a romanticized ideal about it, but I also think there's quite a practical element to it as well. Yes, and also you guys bring an interesting, I suppose, new angle to this discussion. That is, we've talked about yes, bookstores branching out so many times throughout the years, but now we're also looking at you know all these businesses who seem to want a piece of the book or at least the cultural element.、Mm. Um, so, do you think the two can tangle together in a really wonderful dance? Or you know, you've got skeptics like He Yang out there who's like, "Huh, something smells fishy here." <laughs> well, th I think it is a good approach. Of course, you know, when these、um, non-book brands they are trying to expand their service to bookselling or something cultural, they're actually, I think, trying to、um, expand their, I would say, level of service. Um, because bookstores are a kind of business platform that caters to almost all demographics, right? Firstly, their entry barriers can be quite low because all of us, like basically anyone, can visit a bookstore, pick up a book,、um, and then sit down and read it. So, but on the other hand, books have long been associated with knowledge, culture, and sophistication. So, by associating themselves with literature and intellectual pursuits, many Brands can enhance their brand image and be perceived as more than just 
purveyors of material goods, and they're widening the their target customers. I think. Yeah, and also adding an air of culture to their commercial interest.、Mm-hmm. I mean, literature and art—they do bring a certain kind of premium or cachet that some brands who profit handsomely from selling handbags with big logos on them simply don't used to have. Um, am I still just too cynical about this?、Um, um, Josh, offer us some more ideas. <laughs> I don't know. Why do you feel that you're cynical? Cynical about? I mean, do do you think that the bookstore, in general, is just more of a sort of advertising tool, marketing tool? You know, something like、mm. this, rather than something useful. Is that what you mean? No, actually, I I'm all for. Bookstores, and I understand that they're often sort of like pedaling under the water and trying their best just to keep the head above water, kind of thing. Especially coming out of a pandemic, and and you know, if we're completely honest about it, because、uh, only very、uh, limited numbers of bookstores are are actually doing that well. They probably need a very special. Sort of vantage point in attracting、mm. customers, that kind of thing, and、uh, and I always kind of feel a little bit sad when、um, bookstores feel that they need to be selling coffee to sustain their main business because their main business is not the one that's rolling in the cash.、Mm. Um, and and yes, I guess I'm skeptical when all these brands come in and want to. And and I don't even know what are they selling. If they say, "Oh, we have a pop up bookstore," is it dressing up an existing bookstore with their logos? Or sometimes,、yeah. <laughs> sometimes these、uh, brands, these companies, so know so well that they don't put on logos. But maybe there's one、um, patented color. That they have, and then just splash that all over the bookstore or whatever product that they're trying to sell you, and、um, and, and、mm. that signifies the brand. So I understand your skepticism. <laughs> I think that brands for a long time have, I mean, I'm not sure if I'd use the word exploit, but sometimes definitely have exploited these more organic. Art that seems to be more grassroots or something like this to make themselves seem more relatable or make the brand seem more intelligent or something like this, right? But I think sometimes it's not necessarily a bad thing.、Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's better than the brand integrating with some sort of medium that's toxic or not educational or something like this. And I imagine that it can do something to the market as well that can maybe be negative because I don't even know what books. These brands are selling in、mm-hmm. these stores, you know, and I that, think that's also quite. Yeah,、important. that's exactly、um, my question here. You know, like for some of the brands,、yeah. they if they truly have a history, and not all of them do,、um, and then some of them manage to come up with、um, a nice big old book in hard copy. Which encapsulates the brand story and and everything it brings along, but often that comes in a form like a coffee table book, and so I'm just、yeah. wondering what what books are you selling? Then it has to be cooperating with an existing bookstore, I suppose.、Um, Yushun, what do you see as the premium of、um, businesses collaborating with bookstores? 
One point I think is that、um, yes, these brands are actually expanding to like、uh, bookstore services, or or I would say bookstore. This kind of service can also bring in more, I would say, traffic because perhaps the target audience for a certain brand is relatively niche, but by incorporating bookstore elements, it can attract a broader audience. Additionally, some bookstores welcome people to like borrow books, and some even offer twenty-four hour lending services. And this undoubtedly encourages customers to stay longer. Which enhances the brand image, I would say, and increase the duration of customer visits. Even though、um, I'm not a you know business insider, I, I don't know that amount of duration, whether it can transform into revenue or something. But I think increase the traffic is one of the points that they would like, and also to talk about you know what kind of a book. That these brands can offer, I would say, maybe something relate to their brands or relate the their original service. For example, I heard that some of the luxury brands or clothing brands they can offer some clothing or like lookbook to let the readers or let the customers to actually have an idea of、uh, their brand image or their brand idea to actually have a better understanding and then. To strengthen their、uh, brand loyalty, I would say. Yes, in theory, I agree. But I've looked at numerous quote-unquote lookbooks of、mm. different seasons of different designer houses. Yeah. Also, I'll highlight we're in the 21st century, 2023, and most of those material, I don't think they deserve to be printed out.、Oh. <laughs> I mean, these days,、um, instead of sending you in mail、um, these lookbooks, you can easily get the digital subscription. And yes, I'm surprised that we waited this long to bring up. Yes, there is also the、uh, online bookstore or book service that has been posing challenge to the offline business. But one thing, possibly as a positive takeaway out of this, is that. At least the brick and mortar bookstores are alive, and some of them are thriving, and they're not going anywhere. And that's a really good feeling because next time when you need a third space to stay in this real world that we live and breathe in, and you know where to go, and possibly pick up a book on the way to the checkout. Coming up next, welcome to the happiest corner of the airwaves. Roundtables, happy place. Delivery, delivery, delivery. What is it? Happiness from Roundtable. Josh, what do you have for us for this happy place? Well, I've started weightlifting, Heyang. <laughs> I've been lifting. I've been lifting heavy objects,、wow. and it's had. Really positive effects on my mental health. That's so, wonderful. My, do you go and, to and the gym,、body. or do you just weigh your chair? You know, lift up your chair and bed and and stuff at home. That's the most economic、it's, way to do it. It's become easier to lift my chair since <laughs> I've been starting weightlifting. You know, I like exercising and sports and stuff like this, but for a long time, I never really did weightlifting, and the purpose was to build more muscle and get a bit heavier. And、um, I'm not sure if it's just 
as I'm getting older, I feel as though I need to, you know, get more muscle and uh, I don't know, protect all of my assets or something. I'm not sure. But <laughs> it's really felt good to do that. I, I usually did more cardio stuff, running, body weight, things like this. But I decided to see what it was like to do weightlifting. And I've become kind of obsessed with it. It started to help me with my sleep and my diet. You know, I have to think about what I'm eating a lot more, um, my calorie intake and nutrition, protein and stuff like that. And it's really started to help me organize my schedule more because now I wake up and I sort of force myself. Now I'm in more of a routine. I've been doing this for nearly a month now, but I force myself to eat breakfast, eat the right amount of protein and things like this. Um, and obviously good habits, good routines help everything. I'm sleeping better. I, I feel like I have better cognitive functions as well. I feel much more focused on information. I feel like I can listen more clearly. And um, yeah, I feel more confident as well. So I definitely think this is my happy place. And I, I hope that I can continue this. Yes, you should be living in that happy place every week. Um, yes. Yes. Well, curious. You said that you're obsessed now and you mentioned all these mm. great points. Um, also, like, how long does it take to see the results? You know, the problem for me, you know, amateurs, you know, people who can't really sustain this huge goal of going to the gym is never have I witnessed the results. And then I kind of just give up. Well, it's different for different people. And it depends. It's dependent on how committed you are with the other things that you're doing. Diet is incredibly important, what you're putting in your body and also sleep. So if you're really willing to commit and be disciplined with these things as well, you can start to see significant results in, in a matter of weeks. Um, and also it depends on your the, the kind of body type you start with as well, right? Yeah. Um, so there's all sorts of factors. I'm by no means a professional at all. But I think that relatively it's pretty quick if, if you make these kind of commitments. But again, it, it depends what your goals are. My goals are just to generally be more focused and happy generally in life. So um, I'm, I'm already just happy with the routine, to be honest. I don't have really specific goals. Okay, so you should. What's your happy place? Oh, yeah. My happy place this week is a live performance that I attended, and it is performed by an English singer-songwriter whose name is Isaac Gracie. And it was an experience that is, I think, truly different from a stadium concert. The venue was not that big, but filled with um, fans eagerly waiting the artist to take the stage. And as he stepped into the spotlight, the entire room seemed to come alive with, you know, his um, songs and melodies and lyrics. His music style is relatively quiet. And at that moment, there was only him on the stage with his guitar and everyone stood below the stage quietly just listening to him sing. And the last song of this performance was called Silhouettes of You. And the singer invited all of the audience to join him in singing the chorus, um, making the, you know, the final song into a, I think, performance completed together by both the audience and him. So you can feel kind of, you know, the connection between this artist and the audience. And I think that is actually creating a shared energy that resonated through out the performance and making for an unforgettable evening for me and I would say for most of the audience. 
And what is also fascinating is that I realized that events like these are becoming more prevalent, just like in the times before the pandemic, I would say. No matter it's art exhibitions or theatrical performances or even sports events, you know, people can enjoy the, you know, these kind of shared moments and the, I would say, magic that happens when people come together to celebrate the thing they actually fancy. And this feeling is truly wonderful. And I hope everyone can get a chance to experience it. So this is my happy place. And if you enjoy some soothing and gentle songs, you can check out his art or mm. Isaac Gracie. That's great. And mm. nothing can replace the uh, live music experience, mm. I feel. And these days, there's definitely a great demand for in-person, on-site experience and um yes thank you very much for your recommendation mm -hmm. and what i have for you is a movie crossing the ferocious sea is my happy place it delivers a gripping narrative that digs deep into the intricacies of parent-child bonds huang bo's moving portrayal of a well-meaning father unintentionally prompts profound ramifications on the tragic death of his daughter. And Zhou Xun's performance adds a poignant layer embodying the struggles of an overprotective mother and the consequences it can have on a child's personality, sense of self-worth, and everything that comes with that. This film is a crime thriller at first glance, then a family drama, also a thought-provoking piece that encourages introspection on the consequences of overbearing love. And Zhou Xun's acting is as exceptional as always you miss her when she's not on the screen and i understand she's playing a supporting role in this movie and it feels like it's a movie of the director of huang bo's character the dad's story but the fact that she doesn't get nearly as much screen time, in my opinion, or just not many top-notch characters of scripts does she receive sheds light on the industry's challenge and struggle with roles for talented, middle-aged actresses, however talented you are. While Crossing the Ferocious Sea might not rank as director Cao Baoping's best work, in my opinion, especially when compared with um, some of his other earlier works and also the 2007 collaboration with Zhou Xun in Li Mi the Caixiang, the equation of love and death in English, it uh, navigates the narrative terrain somewhat clumsily. Yeah, so this film does have its imperfections, but remains my happy place and a recommendation for you if you're interested in exploring the nuanced themes of original family dynamics, the patriarchal family structure, and more. In this vast landscape of movies and entertainment, what we crave as viewers is diversity, a departure from the norm. And this movie come off maybe a little bit 
too bold, potentially unsettling for some Chinese viewers. However, it stands as a testament to the necessity of pushing boundaries. Our cinematic experiences should not always cater to our expectations, but at times challenge and confront them. And that brings us to the end of today's roundtable. Thank you so much, Josh Cotterell and Yushun for joining the discussion. I'm He Yang. We'll see you next time.